It's always fun to kick off a brand new teaching series, and so I'm really glad you're here today as we're doing that. Let me welcome everybody joining us online as well. Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to have some fun in this series. But before we get to that, we do have to stop for a second, and we're going to celebrate everything that happened last Sunday at Easter. And one of the things I've been trying to do better at is celebrating, all right? I'm kind of wired to just kind of move to the next thing, and uh, we're trying to celebrate a little bit more around here. So those of you who call Vaughn Forest Home will remember we did this about a month ago. So about a month ago, we stopped in a service and I said, look, there's been a lot of things happening around here over the last six weeks. And so let's celebrate. And if you remember that day, we kind of celebrated and I put a lot of things up there and then we all cheered um, high school commencement style. We waited until the very end, right? And then we all cheered together and we're going to totally do that again. All right. So I know it's only been a month and if you don't like to celebrate, just humor us for the next few minutes, but we're going to celebrate again, not what's happened over the last six weeks, but what happened last Sunday. So let me tell you what's going to, how this is going to work. I'm going to put a bunch of statistics up here on the screen. And again, they're numbers. It's not about the numbers. It's about people, but the numbers do represent people. So we are going to celebrate that. And then I'm going to ask you, like we did last time, to hold your applause to the end. And I'm going to say, let's go. And y'all are going to erupt. Now, let me just tell you straight up, just be as straight up with you as I can possibly be. The 930 service, they brought it. They brought it. They were loud. Y'all might've even heard them out there in the lobby. So I need you to kind of get a little worked up. If you need to drink a little more coffee, you might even have time to sprint out there, get some and sprint back in here, okay? But I need you to get a little hyped up because we're going to celebrate. Somebody just jumped, right? We're going to celebrate all that God has been doing and what we saw happen last Sunday because we don't want to develop a little bit of an attitude of entitlement. We just kind of think this stuff is supposed to happen. Did I set that up well? I think I did. All right, so let's take a look at some of the things that we're celebrating from last week. First of all, 37 first-time guests. Now, that's first-time guests that let us know they were first-time guests. There might have been a few more, but those are the folks who let us know on their connection cards. We're definitely celebrating that. Second, we had 296 kids in our kids' ministry. Now, if I had been counting, I would have found four more kids. I'm just being honest, okay? Round that number up. That's what I would have done, but we are have integrity with our numbers. There were 296. Now, that's the most kids we've ever checked in on a Sunday in our kids' ministry. Now, there were a bunch of other kids that were in the service with their parents. That's just the kids that got checked into the kids' ministry. So I just wanted, we did this at the last service too, the 930 service. I just want to, for a second, it takes an army of volunteers to pull off our kids' ministry every single Sunday. They are the most selfless group of people here on our church, and they serve your kids every single week. And many of y'all are in here because you just served at the last service at 9.30. So can we just stop for a second before we get to like the really big hyped up celebration thing at the end? Can we let them know how much we appreciate them? Come on, let them know. Amazing. They do such a great job such a great job. And I'm so grateful for Morgan, our kids minister, who happens to be my wife. And she does an awesome job leading that ministry as well. Around here, I am her husband. That's how we go with that, all right? She's leading an awesome team. All right, next, we had 101 students in our student ministry. Now, we have student ministry that happens here on Wednesday nights as well. But again, as far as Sundays go, that's the most teenagers we've ever had checked into our student ministry on a given Sunday. That is phenomenal. So next, we had a total of 1,021 adults in one of our three 
worship services. You're thinking, three? I thought we only did two, 9.30 and 11. Well, we only do two in this room at 9.30 and 11, but also at 11 o'clock, we have another worship service happening on our campus right now over in the warehouse on the other side of the lobby for it's our Spanish-speaking worship service. All the worship music is in Spanish. Pastor Romero, who's one of the pastors on our team, preaches in Spanish. God's doing a great work there. People are meeting Jesus. People are getting baptized, and so that's a part of our Vaughn Forest family. In fact, if any on any Sunday, Sunday, if you just want to pop in and worship with them, you know, you may not understand everything, but you'll sense the Spirit. So God's moving in there. So when you combine all three of those services, that's how many adults were in each of the services. And so then when you add in a production team and worship team and other volunteers, we had a total of 1,565 people on our campus. Now, here's the thing about that. First of all, that's the most people that have ever been to Vaughn Forest Church on a Sunday in the 29-year history of the church, which is remarkable, but it's also interesting. So let me give you a little bit of pastor analysis this morning, okay? So 37 first-time guests, that's a lot of guests, but it's not like hundreds and hundreds of guests, and yeah, over 1,500 people. So what's happening there? Here's kind of my little working theory. I think that a lot of people who call Vaughn Forest Church their home all showed up on the same Sunday. So most people who call Vaughn Forest home here once or twice a month, catch a service online once or twice a month, and then there's always that Sunday where you just forget. And we give you grace. It's okay. We love you, all right? Perfect attendance. It's not a requirement to be a part of our church family. But what happened last Sunday is a lot of people who call Vaughn Forest home, they kind of all came on the same Sunday. So that's really cool to see God kind of mobilizing his people here and still including guests who felt welcomed and many of who are back this Sunday um, joining us again. So that's remarkable. Hey, single day attendance in the history of our church. And then comparing that to the last couple of years, that's up from 1354 last Easter and 1121, two years ago, and Easter of 2021. So let's just let that sink in for a second, okay? God is doing a remarkable work here. We get to be a part of it. He's using us. He's doing all of this for his glory. So now I need to hear y'all celebrate. So let's go. Let's give God the glory this morning. Come on. Come on. There you go. Come on. That's it. Oh, man, that's so much fun. That just fires me. If I had a hymnal, I'd spike it right now, but I don't got one, all right? That fires me up. God's doing a lot of great things in the life of our church, and it is good to stop every now and thank him and celebrate him for that. Before today, we are kicking off the series. Let me talk about the series for a second. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's most famous sermon, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's one sermon. And uh, we're kicking it off today, and we're going to do this for 13 weeks. Now, if you're new to Vaughn Forest, you're like, what? That's a long time, and it is. Typically, our teaching series are four to six weeks. And then usually once a year, we will take a uh, passage, and we'll just camp out in it for a long period of time. So last year, we did this with the book of Colossians. We called the series Implications. I think we did that for 15 weeks. We went through the entire book of Colossians, every single verse. And if you missed that, and you're like, man, I'd love to catch up with that, a, a verse-by-verse teaching series, it's still posted on our website. It's called Implications. We did it last year. So this year, we're not taking a book of the Bible. We're taking a passage from a book from Matthew, Jesus' sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to go through every single verse of the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to take us 13 weeks. We've already mapped it all out. 
And um, here's my hope. My hope is at the end of the series, not only do you have a better understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, but you have a better understanding of how to apply the Sermon on the Mount in your everyday life. And so it's gonna be a powerful teaching series and I wanna challenge you up top to be engaged throughout the course of this series. I know you're not gonna be here every single week and that's perfectly fine, okay? But, but I want you to catch up when you miss it, you know, stay engaged, be reading through the Sermon on the Mount in your own time with the Lord. And again, like I said, 13 weeks from now, I think you're gonna have a part of the Bible that you feel really good about and uh, see the difference it's made as you've been putting it into practice. And so obviously, as we kick it off today, we're starting in the beginning, Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll put all the verses up here for you. And the title of today's message is quite simply, The Beatitudes. Now, I didn't come up with that. That's kind of the classic name that the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount are referred to. And don't get too caught up in the word. It's not a word we really use a lot. It's a word that quite simply means a state of blessing or to experience a state of blessing. And that makes sense because the first word for each beatitude is blessed. And so we're going to talk about that today. And I think you're going to be challenged by it. So there's some message notes in your bulletin. Go ahead and find those, get those out, get ready to jot down a few things. If you're joining us online, you can access the message notes at vaughnforest.com. And what we're going to do is there's eight beatitudes and I'm just going to read through them one at a time. I'm not going to read all of them and then back up. I'm going to read a beatitude and then I'm going to give you a principle that fits that beatitude. So that's why you've got eight principles there in your notes because there are eight Beatitudes. But before we get into the notes, I wanted to just give you a little bit of background on the Beatitudes. Um, I did not put this in your notes, but you might want to jot it down somewhere in the margin because it does help with the context and with the understanding. So let me give you four truths about the Beatitudes. The first one is this. They cast a vision of the kind of people Christ followers should be. When Jesus launches into this sermon, he's casting a vision for what his people will look like how they will act, how they will be different, the influence they will have in other people's lives. And here we are, 2,000 years later, a part of those people. And, and Jesus is casting a vision. This is what followers of me will look like. Here's the second truth about the Beatitudes. They assume the acceptance of the gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that requires a little bit of explanation because at this point in Jesus's ministry, when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, he hasn't gone to the cross he hasn't walked out of the tomb. He hasn't ascended to heaven. We're not in Acts chapter two where the Holy Spirit has descended. But the context of Jesus casting a vision for the kind of people his followers would be, this makes sense, that his followers would have, would have accepted the gospel message. They would have experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that matters because if we miss this, the Beatitudes could be read as a set of behaviors that someone has to ascribe to in order to gain favor with God. And obviously we know that that is completely contrary to the rest of the New Testament. And so because he's casting a vision for who his people will be, his people are marked not by their effort, by their merit, by their works, but being transformed, the good news of the gospel message. Third truth about the Beatitudes, the promises of blessing have both a present and a future fulfillment. Each Beatitude starts with the word blessed, and there are blessings in this life as we put the Beatitudes into practice, but ultimately the blessing exists for all of eternity when we get to be with Jesus in heaven. But it is a both and, it's not one or the other. And then finally, the last truth about the Beatitudes, I think it's the most important one, is they only produce spiritual growth when we obey them. 
And so the, spirit, the uh, Beatitudes are not given to us so that we kind of tip our cap to them or we kind of nod in agreement or we kind of go, yeah, those sound pretty good. They're actually challenges for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers to put them into practice. And it's only as we put them into practice that something in our life begins to change. And so unapologetically, today's message is all about spiritual growth. So you may be a new Christian This is our way of pushing you out of the nest and saying, let's go. That you don't have to wait until a certain period of time passes before you start growing in your faith. You may have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but we're honest, sometimes we can get a little complacent. The Beatitudes are God's way of waking us up a little bit. In fact, you may be someone who God desires to use in the lives of people who are not yet followers of Jesus. And let me tell you what can happen. As you put the Beatitudes into practice, Your friends who aren't Christ followers, they're going to notice. They're going to notice something different about you. There's going to be some behaviors about about your life that stand out to them, and that's the goal. That's the point. So the way that I have formatted your notes today is I'm going to read a beatitude, and then I'm going to give you a spiritual growth principle tied to that beatitude as we put it into practice. But before we get to the actual beatitudes, let me read to you how the passage starts in Matthew chapter 5. And I set these two verses aside for a reason. So let me read them to you, and then I'll tell you the reason. When Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew 5, verse 1, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, and these two verses kind of seem like an introduction, and they are, but they're also loaded with some, some ideas that Matthew, the gospel writer, is trying to communicate to us, and I don't have time to fully unpack all of those in the message, so we're going to do that on our podcast this week. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. The other six podcasts, it's released on Tuesday mornings. We talk about spiritual growth tools. And I'm gonna talk about what Matthew's up to in the first two verses before he actually introduces us to the Beatitudes. But what you have in your message notes are the Beatitudes. So let's get started. We've got eight of them. Let me get started with the first one. Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, before I give you the spiritual growth application, let's talk about this verse for a second because the phrase poor in spirit isn't one we use often. And Jesus isn't talking about our financial state. This has nothing to do with money. He's talking about the idea of being spiritually bankrupt. When you get to a place in your life where you recognize the only thing I have to offer God is my sin, that's being poor in spirit. When you realize there's nothing I can do to earn my way back to God, that's being poor in spirit. When you recognize my sin separates me from God, therefore I am bankrupt, I am poor in spirit. Now, that is the prerequisite to understanding your need of a savior, being poor in spirit. Now you get to come to Jesus and say, I admit this, I'm poor in spirit, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, so that won't keep me from God, but I have to confess you as savior and Lord. And I'm gonna do that by asking you to come into my life as my risen savior. Now, what's the promise of that? your life in the kingdom of heaven. Now you can bring the kingdom of heaven now and through everyday actions empowered by the Holy Spirit, but ultimately we know the promise is being in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven for all of eternity. So there is a blessing in the acknowledgement of being poor in spirit and the dependency that comes with it. But here's the spiritual growth principle that I want you to jot down. Number one, spiritual growth results from developing a greater dependency on God. Think about it. If you recognize you're poor in spirit and that drives you to the foot of the cross, recognizing your sin's been paid for, 
placing your faith in a risen Savior. That's about as dependent as it gets. And it's that level of dependency that keeps many people from experiencing salvation. Their pride gets in the way. But once you become a Christ follower, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, if we are not careful, we can actually begin to move away from dependency and somehow start to become more independent in our journey with God. We recognize that dependency on God got us into the relationship, but if we're not careful, we start to move forward independent from God. That is not the mark of spiritual growth. The mark of spiritual growth is every day recognizing our dependency on God that we cannot move forward in our own effort. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit that embracing dependency, sometimes even desperation, is ultimately the sign of spiritual growth. And that's counter to how we're wired. We like to think that we can do things in our own strength. We like to think that we're actually getting our act together. We're moving forward and we're doing things better. And all of those descriptions carry with them the understanding of independence. And at the mark of spiritual growth is developing a greater dependency beyond the initial understanding of being poor in spirit. Here's the second beatitude we see from Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now we could take this word mourn and apply it into a number of different places, and the interpretation would still hold. I am of the opinion that given the context of what Jesus just said about being poor in spirit, that he's carrying with this idea of mourning, a very specific idea in mind. So let's jot this down and then talk about what that is. Number two, spiritual growth results from brokenness over my own sin. I think that's what Jesus is talking about with mourning. I'm mourning over my own sin. I'm mourning over the fact that I've recognized I'm poor in spirit in need of a savior. And even after having experienced salvation, I will continue to mourn and be broken over my own sin. Now, I don't have to beat myself up for my sin because God chose to beat his son Jesus up for my sin on the cross. But I certainly am never going to become flippant towards my sin, casual towards my sin, dismissive towards my sin. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, we're called to love the sinner and hate the sin. Did you know that's nowhere in the Bible? It's actually not a biblical idea at all. A more biblical way of understanding the sentiment behind that statement would be this, to love the sinner, yes, but hate my own sin. See, I got enough stuff going on in my life to get all worked up about what's going on in your life. And guess what? So do you. And so many times we move past being broken over our sin. Now, has it been paid for? Absolutely. Does it separate us from the love of God? No. But we get too casual or worse, comfortable with our sin. But Jesus says, no, there, there's a blessing when you mourn over your sinfulness. I remember when I, I saw this firsthand. It was 20 years ago. I was working for Dr. Elmer Towns, who is a spiritual mentor of mine, has been for the last 20 years. And if you call Vaughn Forrest home, you'll remember October of 2021, he flew in and preached for us on a Sunday. He's 90 years old now. He's the Energizer Bunny. He's got more energy than I do, okay? Incredible man of God. I'm working for him at the time. So he's 70 at the time, 20 years ago. We're having breakfast together at Cracker Barrel to the glory of God. We're having breakfast, all right? And he starts talking about how he feels like he's so far from God. 
And I'm thinking, well, there's no hope for anybody. If you're far from God, we just need to throw in the towel now, right? I mean, what are we talking about? You're like the Yoda of Christianity, as far as I'm concerned. He's talking about being far from God. And I didn't tell him he's Yoda of Christianity. That would have been disrespectful. That was just me kind of thinking out loud. Anywho, let's get back to the Cracker Barrel breakfast. So he's telling me this, and I'm thinking, how could someone who's on the spiritual Mount Rushmore of my life be telling me he feels far from God? And the further we, the more we got into the conversation, he said, the closer I get to God, the further away from him I realize I really am just how holy he is and how unholy I can be. And it grows my dependence and it breaks me over my sin. And church, I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over that challenge that he laid on me that morning over breakfast. That spiritual growth is not marked by someone who thinks how much godlier he or she is becoming. Spiritual growth is marked by the person who sees that gap and sees it growing and recognizes God's goodness and grace in spite of that. There's a blessing that occurs when we walk in the truth of that. Here's the third beatitude, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, gentle is not a word that we really like to embrace in our culture. So what's happening there? What's the spiritual growth principle there? Jot this down. Number three, spiritual growth results from developing the strength to be gentle. It takes great strength to be gentle. It takes great strength when your spouse is going off to not match them. Don't point, okay? Don't point. It takes great strength when your children have disobeyed you for the 57th time, not today, but for the hour to stay gentle. It takes great strength when everything around you is just in chaos and you're calm. It takes great strength to not lose your temper. It takes great strength to respond in love when you've been mistreated. It takes great strength to be gentle. If you are marked by gentleness, you are marked by strength. And there's a blessing in that. Gentlemen, It takes great strength to talk about the things that need to be talked about and be mindful of your tone. I hope I'm not the only one that hears these words, okay? It's not what you said, it's how you said it. There's truth in that. It takes great strength to be gentle enough to say the hard things with a loving tone. Mm. See, this is what spiritual growth looks like. And Jesus says there's a blessing. When your life is marked by gentleness, you're not a doormat. You're not somebody that people take advantage of. You're actually the strongest person in the room because you're gentle through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's incredibly challenging. What's the fourth beatitude for today? Verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love this verse, and yet at the same time, it's a very challenging verse because here's what this verse is saying. Once you've experienced Jesus, nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. You can hunger and thirst for the things of this world. You can chase them down. And there might be some momentary pleasure and some momentary satisfaction, and it may even last for a season. But ultimately, the only thing that will satisfy you at a soul level is Jesus. And hungering and thirsting for him and for his 
righteousness, and there's a blessing in that pursuit. So what's the spiritual growth principle? It's our fourth one for today. Spiritual growth results from an active pursuit of the things of God and an active availability to be used by God. It's a both and. What's an active pursuit of the things of God? You gotta go after God with everything in you. You just can't assume that you're gonna grow closer to God. It has to be intentional. This will not happen by osmosis. You're not just gonna wake up every morning and let week after week and month after month and year after year roll by and find yourself closer to God. If you are not actively chasing after God and chasing after the things of God and actively pursuing him in this world, there are way too many things that will pull you away from God. It's got to be an active pursuit. Part of gathering together as God's family and worshiping together is part of that active pursuit. Don't be casual with gathering with God's people. I'm so encouraged to see so many of you here gathering God's people. That's part of your active pursuit, but it can't just be that. It's got to be a daily thing where you're just chasing after the things of God, where you're getting a hold of God's word and saying, God, I'm not letting go of this Bible today until you speak to me. It's an active pursuit. It's everyday nudgings. Listen, if you sense the Holy Spirit nudging for you to pursue something of God, obey that because that didn't come from you. Let me give you an example. This past week, I hop in my truck and I, I gotta run a quick errand. I'm gonna drive and run a quick errand and I pull up my phone. I haven't left the driveway yet, safety first. And I pull up my phone and I'm gonna go to my favorite sports talk app because I like listening to sports talk and I'm gonna listen to some sports talk radio and it's basically like soap operas for men. So anyway, I like listening to sports talk. Is that okay? So I'm gonna go to my favorite sports talk app and right before I open the app, I had this little nudge. Little nudge in my mind. Pretty sure it was the Holy Spirit because I was thinking about sports talk. I was thinking about the Bulldogs, go dogs. But this little voice kind of came in my mind and said, what about that song? And I said, what about that song? And I started thinking there was a song that we sang this past Sunday at Easter and I really liked it. And I kind of felt God move, not just in my life, but in the room. And I said, what was that song? It was an amazing song. And I started kind of singing. I won't sing to you right now. I was singing kind of the lyrics in my head and I sing really good to myself. It just doesn't sound good to anybody else. But anyway, I'm just like, what's that song? And I'm like, it's Holy Forever. That was the name of the song. And so I type in my phone. I'm not sure how this works. I'm not good with technology, but I typed in a little iTunes, little search box, Holy Forever, and it popped up Chris Tomlin. Now I think Matt Collins, our worship pastor, sings it better than Chris Tomlin, Okay. And I will fight you on that. I will argue with you on that, okay? Because I love Matt Collins. And I think he does an amazing job leading us every week. But it's Chris Tomlin, and I hit it, and I started driving. I started listening to the song. And my goodness, it was like I was back in our Easter service listening to this song. And then when that song ended, I, again, I don't know how the technology works on these kind of things because I hadn't purchased the song, so it wasn't technically on my phone, but somehow in the magical world of technology, it rolled into another song that I hadn't chosen, and that was a song that God significantly used in my life about eight or nine years ago. It's an older song, and I'm like, I haven't heard this song in years. And I'm, I mean, honestly, can I tell you what? I was running to the Dollar General to pick up something. How spiritual is that? And yet, I ended up having this 10-minute active pursuit of God, just me and him in my truck. And I wanted to listen to some sports talking and, and, and the nudging. Can, do you hear what I'm saying? You gotta obey those. God will meet you there. You gotta make yourself available. Hey, God, use me. I talked to somebody after the last service 
And she was very emotional about this. She said, when you said that today, I felt like God was nudging me because I've been coming here and, and I really want to pursue after God. I just can't figure out where to get started. And I walked her over to Harper Alexander, who's on our team as our connections director. And I said, Harper can help you get started today. And Harper did a great job helping with her, find her place to be available to say, God, use me. See, if you just show up and sit and soak every week, it's gonna be hard to pursue the things of God. But when you say, God, I know you've gifted me, use me. Here on our campus, use me in the community to meet needs and to be used by you. See, this, this is how the, the pursuit of righteousness becomes a reality for you in your life. So it's an active pursuit. It's an active availability. And there's a blessing in it, Jesus said. What's the fifth beatitude for today? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. Now, I don't have to unpack mercy because we all know what it means to be merciful. So let me give you the application because I do want to talk about this for a second. Fifth application. Spiritual growth results from mercy that leads to sacrifice, not pity. The world doesn't need Christ followers who are merciful to feel sorry for people, to pity them. What the world needs are Christ followers who experience mercy that leads us to do something about it. And, and, and the holdup for the doing something about it part is oftentimes that requires some sacrifice. Sacrifice of our time, sacrifice of our money, sacrifice of our giftedness, sacrifice of our schedule, sacrifice of our priorities. But see, when we are moved to mercy and we do something about it through sacrifice, Jesus says there's a blessing in it. It reminded me of our church and how well our church did this about 18 months ago. So I thought it might be worth pointing this out because a lot of y'all weren't here 18 months ago. 18 months ago, it might've been 18 months. I'm kind of rounding, you know, numbers, 296, 300 kids. It's neither here nor there. 18 months, 16 months, whatever. December of 2021, we had a Compassion Sunday here at Vaughn Forest Church. Compassion is an organization seeking to alleviate global poverty all over the world. They work through local churches and we challenged our people to sponsor a child through compassion. And when I was growing up at home, we had a compassion child. Her name was Rosa. She grew up in Bolivia and her picture hung up on our fridge. And then when Morgan and I got married, we started sponsoring a child, lived in Haiti. And so we, we've been a part of compassion for as long as I can remember. And so we had a guest speaker that Sunday. They had a, an interactive thing set up over there and you could go through and see what it's like to live on a dollar a day. And then we challenged our church family. We have all of these kids that need to be sponsored, adopted. They all live in a village in Peru. Let's go. And we sponsored close to 200 children on one Sunday. And many of you did that. And it's remarkable. And our family decided, because we've got three boys, that we'd sponsor three. So we got three boys, Donovan, Miguel, and Pedro. And they were all born in 2015, because that's when Henry was born, 2015. So Donovan, Miguel, and Pedro. And the plan was to go down there. So Greg, who was actually out here playing guitar in our worship band, he and I, three different times, have had a date picked out to go down there and to spend some time with the families there in our village in Peru. And unfortunately, there's a lot of unrest in the nation of Peru right now, and Compassion is not doing any trips. Greg and I might go rogue and just do it on our own and not tell them, but we'll pray about that and ask that God gives us discernment because we're ready to get down there. And so by faith, we're going to claim that eventually we are going to get down there. But what I want you to know is if you didn't get to be a part of that day and you're being moved to mercy to come alongside a child and see them be fed and clothed and educated, 
through the local church so they get pointed to Jesus, I did want to give you that opportunity. So it's the last next step on your connection card today. It says, send me more information about sponsoring a child through Compassion in our village in Peru. So if that's something you want to jump on board with, there's, there's more kiddos that live in that village that need to be sponsored. And then, like I said, we'll continue to let you know as we move further into the year. I talked to another couple after the last service, and uh, she is native um, to Peru. That's her home country. So she was talking about some of the things that she's been running into with challenges or trying to get down there to see family members. So that's gonna come down the road. We, we trust God. But in the meantime, if you wanna be a part of that, showing mercy through sacrifice, mark that next step. All right, let's go back to the Beatitudes and look at the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, now what's being said here? Here's the spiritual growth principle. Number six, spiritual growth results from living a fully transparent life with nothing to hide. That's what it means to be pure in heart. It means that you're living a fully transparent life. There's no hypocrisy in your life. Not perfection, but there's no hidden areas of your life. There's no secret sin. There's no parts you don't want anybody else to know about. You're the same person wherever you go, whether you're at work or whether you're at school or whether you're at church or whether you're with your family. You are you, that everywhere you go, there you are. You can't escape you and that's okay because you are living a fully transparent life pure in heart. Now, here's what's amazing about this verse. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amazing. Can I tell you what I know about God? God is everywhere at all times. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is speaking right now, whether you hear him or not. You know why I know that? Because see, God spoke creation into existence. God spoke light into existence, and light has continued to move forward for millions of light years since God initially spoke that. So God has not stopped speaking. And see, here's the challenge for many of us. We don't hear God speaking in our lives. We, we don't sense God's presence in our lives. So what's happening there? Might I suggest you've lost connection. You know what it's like to lose connection. You get on a remote road somewhere, or maybe you're out in the mountains and you look at your phone and you got no bars, you got no service. You've lost connection. Well, Verizon didn't shut it down. You're just in a place where you can no longer receive their signal. See, this is what happens in our lives when we don't live a fully transparent life. God hasn't stopped speaking. We just are in a place where we can't receive it because there's some things blocking what he's saying to us. And let me tell you what those things are, sin. See, the worst part of sin in your life, if you're a Christ follower, isn't that you get separated from God. Your sin's already been paid for. The worst part of sin for a Christ follower is it keeps you from hearing God's voice in your life. It disconnects you. Testimony after testimony of somebody who says, I got to a place in my life where I was convicted of the things I had been living in secrecy about, and I confessed that. And I acknowledge that Jesus paid the price for that and that the blood of the lamb can wash me clean from that. And it's amazing how once I did that, God's word started to come alive again. God started to speak to me in worship services again. And testimony after testimony would say, and what I realize now is that God never stopped speaking. I just couldn't hear him because I wasn't living a fully transparent life. There wasn't purity of heart and it was keeping me from hearing the voice of God. There's a blessing when we recognize that. Let me give you the seventh beatitude from Matthew 5. It's verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, we're called to be peacemakers in every area of our life, but I want to apply it to a specific area. So jot this down as the seventh spiritual growth principle. Spiritual growth results from fighting for unity in my church. 
We're called to be peacemakers everywhere, but if we're not peacemakers first with God's people in our church, it's going to be difficult to be peacemakers everywhere else. And I love the fact that the way that we are peacemakers is by actually fighting. Don't ever separate those two. So I don't know how you could be a peacemaker and talk about fighting. Oh, no. The only way that you can be a peacemaker is by fighting for unity. And one of the things I love about Vaughn Forest Church is that we are marked by unity. We're not a perfect people, okay? We are marked by unity. Why are we marked by unity? Because for 29 years, that's how old our church is, men and women of God have fought for that unity. They have fought for it. They've made it a priority. And that's why all these years later, you look around our church family and we're diverse. We have different backgrounds. We have different ethnicities and different generations and different seasons of life and different political perspectives. Why? Because unity is not uniformity. We're not all the same. In fact, because we're all different, the fact that we have unity, that actually is what makes Jesus look even better. But rest assured, you gotta fight for it. You gotta fight for it. You gotta fight for unity. You gotta fight against gossip. There's never been a church that's been destroyed by the evils of this world. Did you know that? That the way Satan has destroyed every single church, he's batting a thousand percent, is by destroying it from within. With gossip and dissension from the people who are actually brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Satan, Satan can do it. And if we're not on our guard, church, he can come after us. So we're not a listening ear for unity. You know how else we fight? I mean, a listening ear for gossip. You know how else we fight for unity? We recognize that the opposite of peace isn't conflict. The opposite of peace is artificial harmony. So if it takes a little bit of conflict for us to experience unity to the glory of Jesus, that's what we're gonna do. And Jesus says there's a blessing in that. Let me give you the last beatitude for today. And it's the longest one of all, three verses. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let me give you the last principle for today that we see with our spiritual growth. Number eight, spiritual growth results when we are persecuted for Jesus and rejoice in our future inheritance. Jesus says, listen, you're gonna be persecuted, and when you do, remember, there's a blessing and inheritance that awaits you in heaven. I don't know how to say it any other way. If you walk with Jesus, you're going to be going upstream. You're going to face resistance. You're going to face persecution. Now, you don't need to seek that out. It'll find you. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be an instigator and then say, look at me being persecuted for the things of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm simply talking about the direction our world is going. And if you pursue God, you will be moving in a different direction. And there will be persecution that comes your way, church. And let me just say this. If you have kids or grandkids, begin to help them see that now. Do not shield them from it. If you've got a 10-year-old little follower of Jesus in your home and he or she starts experiencing persecution because of it, don't you call that other parent. Don't you call that coach. Don't you set up that meeting with the principal. Don't you, you know, try to get them out of something with their teacher. Let them absorb the full brunt of persecution for being a Christ follower and help them understand that this is what it means. Empathize, listen, Love them. 
But if you shield them from it, we're gonna raise a generation of kids who the first time they face persecution will be in their 20s away from us and they will literally be like a weak tree whose roots have not grown down deep and they're just blown over by the first sign of persecution. See, we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. Morgan and I got convicted of this this week. We sat down with our boys and had to apologize. You ever done that with your children? It's super humbling. We, we confessed to them that we don't often tell them why we're doing what we're doing. And we said, I bet sometimes it feels like mom and dad are just always on you. And they collectively nodded. It was a little bit too much, right? Okay. Yes, parents, it does feel that way. And we told them, that's on us. We're going to own that with y'all. But let me tell you why we do that. And here's what we told them. God's called us to create spiritual resistance in your life. And they looked at us kind of funny. We said, our job as your parents is to not let you get your way. Not always let you have what you want. Not always make everything easy for you. Because see, we're in this for the long haul. And we believe God's called us to help you develop godly character that will allow you to stand strong. Because let me tell you what's going to happen in your life. Things are not going to always go well. You will be persecuted because you claim the name of Jesus. One day you're going to have a wife who's going to come to you and say, what are we supposed to do? You're going to have kids that have all kinds of questions. And see, you're a man of God. That's who we see. And right now we just have you in our home for a few years. But we need you to understand that's what we're going for. Do you guys understand what we're saying? And we had a really good time of prayer together. But can I tell you, parents, I share that story with you not so you go, what an amazing pastor. That is not why I share that story. I share that with you because I got convicted. I got convicted. I think I was just caught up a little bit too much in trying to get them to do the right stuff and I had forgotten to tell them the heart behind why. Here's the heart. If they're gonna be men of God who walk with Jesus for the duration of their life, Long after they leave my home, they got to understand resistance, persecution, being grounded in your faith. That's what we've been called to. Would you bow your head with me this morning? God, as we look at the Beatitudes, it's super challenging. There's a number of different directions you could take us in. For some of us, we've kind of constructed a faith for ourselves and for our kids that doesn't have any type of persecution. We repent of that. Lord, for others of us, we just kind of act like a jerk and we need to be gentle and we need to develop the strength to be gentle. Lord, for some of us, we have not actively been pursuing you. We've just kind of assumed that because we live in the South and we go to church and we'll just grow in godliness. And God, we confess that and we want to get serious about actively chasing you down in your word and through worship and through prayer and with your people. God, we don't want to play games. We don't want to play games. God, we want to grow closer to you. We want to be used by you. God, as we read your word, we want your word to read us. And as we seek to put this into practice, we confess our need for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in the only name that saves, the name of Jesus. Amen.